Dear sisters and brothers, welcome to the first episode of Her Heart Medicine. I am your host, Elizabeth Backus. I've been told on numerous occasions that I should create a podcast by friends and equally by strangers. So here I am, exploring, being curious, and doing this. Before I dive in, I want to share with you about the chosen name of this podcast and what it means to me. Her represents a divine mother. Mother Nature, Mother Earth, Gaia, known by many names, she is the container in which all things take form, the very womb of our existence. Heart medicine is the medicine of the Divine Mother, sometimes as sweet as nectar and other times as bitter as bitter melon. And if you don't know bitter melon, then try it. I personally think it's one of the most bitter things on the planet. But who are we kidding? Just like any medicine, the medicine of the mother doesn't always go down easy, and it's not designed to. It's designed to support and growth, just like a baby being supported in the womb. During different stages of the pregnancy, this baby needs different things. So best believe, whatever medicine is suitable for the occasion will be given. Just like nature, rainbow is not suitable for all occasions. Sometimes, natural disasters occur and are needed to return to oneness and remind us what's important. Notice, it's when these things that happen that people decide to come together, pushing all differences aside. And that is the medicine of the mother. That is exactly how we are with ourselves. When things get to that level, we learn to push all those things aside and come into oneness with ourselves. In my podcast, I will share with you my journey and experiences of the medicine with the mother. And no matter how bitter or sweet that it was, all of it was for the sake of love, expansion, and oneness. By no means is everything I'm saying true for you. That's something you get to decide. After all, this podcast is completely about self-empowerment. I am simply here to share my journey and awareness in hopes to support each of you shine a little light into your own hearts, knowing no matter how bitter or sweet the medicine, that it all serves a purpose for the sake of love, expansion, and oneness. Some of the mother's solutions have been as simple as a band-aid, but not really. It seemed that way, only to have the band-aid ripped off a few times, sometimes more than others. And others have felt like spiritual surgery, like literal surgery. And this is my metaphorical expression of just saying the Divine Mother has the ability to go inside and uproot a belief within me, then excavate the wound and invite me to fill it with love. More often than not, our entire existence is attached to some level of suffering. And it's likely that we don't even know ourselves without it. Therefore, letting go of the suffering can be one of the greatest and most difficult challenges in the process of growth and transformation and why spiritual surgery can be so necessary at times. I mean, look at the butterfly and caterpillar, right? In order for the caterpillar to earn its wings, it must let go of everything that it believes itself to be. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here. Walking the journey of healing and integration is a courageous one, at least in my mind, and an empowering one. 
When I decided to take control of my perceptions of the world, it was here that I actually began to truly live. It was here that I stopped living for society and its norms, my parents and their acceptance, and my conditional beliefs and patterns. I began to question everything and came to discover literally everything I'd ever believed about myself and the world untrue. And only, only in this discovery did an opening reveal itself. This opening, I believe to be created by the Divine Mother with an invitation for me to take her medicine, love, compassion, empathy, humility, creativity, nurture, and so much more. But as we know, like I said, the medicine doesn't always go down easy. So in order for me to arrive and see the rainbow, I had to first experience the rain. And boy, did it rain. Through different modalities of conditioning, we are often taught that hardships and difficult situations are designed to make us stronger. And I believe that this phrase in itself is often interpreted as armor and that becoming stronger means shielding ourselves from certain circumstances. It is this mindset that is the catalyst for closing our heart a little more with each experience. When in fact, our traumas and circumstances were in place to teach us how to open our heart, how to have empathy, humility, compassion for others. Each one teaching us how to fold deeper and deeper into love, guiding us down the many avenues and twists and turns that love offers. After all, I mean, what can really be stronger than unconditional love? What can be more powerful to accept ourselves and others as they are? Can there actually be a greater gift than being free from expectation? I mean, just think about living life without having any expectations. That means there's no failure, no disappointment. It just is. Every moment is an opportunity for learning. And trust me, this doesn't happen overnight. And it may fully not happen in this lifetime. And that's okay. It's simply a practice. A lifestyle of weaving conscious moments within and through life. So now I'd like to share a little bit about my story and why I'm so passionate about all of this and why it's so important to me. I was born in 1984 to two interracial parents. Both of my parents were struggling with crack and cocaine addictions. My father was a pimp. Don't ask me how. And my mother his prostitute. Again, I don't know. By the time I was six months old, my mother and father had spent most of their time in and out of prison and left me in the custody of my alcoholic grandmother on my father's side. At this age of six months, I crawled out of a two-story window. Now, I don't know if I was just trying to leave or it was just by accident, but because I don't believe accidents happen, I certainly always wonder what I was thinking in that moment. My grandfather on my mother's side was the head of the KKK in his state. Both of my grandparents on my father's side were alcoholics. And my grandfather practiced black magic, which I'm not even sure what that is. By the time I was four, I was adopted. And I think it was between my mother being afraid of my father pimping us, my sister and I, because this is what he told her as well as struggling in her own addiction and addiction in many ways, not just substance abuse. I mean, like addicted to being in this toxic, dysfunctional relationship with my father. So like any kid who was adopted, well, maybe not like any kid, me, like me, 
I perceived that I wasn't enough, that I wasn't worthy, that I was not important for my mother to just get it together. And here I am in this adoptive home that my mother has chosen. And I experienced nine years of my life in trauma, physical, emotional, psychological, sexual. In this home, I was being raped by my adoptive mother's brother. And every time I told her, she would beat me. But it wasn't until years later that I found out that she was also molesting and sleeping with the foster boys in our home. Mind you, she was a black woman who spoke very poorly of black men. And all of my foster siblings were black. She shamed me for my weight, for my appearance, for the way I ate. I even remember being caught masturbating at a very young age, likely because I was already experiencing sexual activity. And she made me lay down in front of all my siblings and mimic what she caught me doing and wouldn't stop until I actually did it. When I was eight years old, my aunt, my adoptive mother's sister, broke my nose. And um, this happened based off of a lie my sister told, like like siblings do, um, you know, oh, Elizabeth punched me in my nose. And my aunt literally just turned around and punched me in my nose. Here I am, eight years old. My nose is just spilling blood. And she's just telling me, shut up, shut up before I give you something to cry about. And this, this was a never ending cycle in my home. Always on repeat. I remember getting caught in bathtubs, doing nothing, but being beaten with water hoses, horse whips. I remember being punished by digging holes and forced to eat all the food on my plate, even if that meant gagging and throwing up. I was bullied at school and everyone knew that I was being molested at home. And I would get bullied by students saying, specifically the same students, Elizabeth likes her uncle. So imagine being on the school bus and like hearing this type of stuff and then you go home and you experience it. By the time I was 10 or 11, all of the foster kids in my home had been removed due to having babies by each other. And at this point, I feel like my adoptive mother became very desperate because she was not working and she had never worked. And I think all of the money that she was receiving from the government was no longer like upholding her. She went to the next level of anger and abuse. At this point, the abuse was pretty severe. I mean, it was always pretty severe, but it was certainly at another level. And she took my sister and I out of school because she didn't really want us telling anybody. I mean, we were never allowed to have friends over, go to anybody's houses, participate in sports, any after school activities. And I believe it was for the fear of us telling someone. And in all honesty, I told people at school and it was just kind of like, well, we don't really know how to help you. Um, so she locked us in our room, nailed the window shut, turned the doorknob inside out, gave us a bowl to use the bathroom in inside of the room, fed us through the door. And then at some point, one night, she went to church. She was Jehovah's Witness. She went to church and we were like, we could break this window. Now we had a large window in our bedroom, but it was cut into small sections. 
And we just tapped that night on that window. Tap, 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 tap. And eventually it cracked. But it didn't break. It just cracked. And we were like, oh man, we're going to get in trouble. But at this point, we were like, I mean, if we're going to get in trouble, we might as well just finish the job. So we broke the window. We layered our clothes and our hands and arms so we didn't get cut. And we crawled through the window. My sister and I. I didn't want to leave her there, even though my sister wasn't experiencing anything like I experienced. I mean, she experienced some some whoopings and things like this, but certainly not the sexual trauma and things like this that I was experiencing. I wanted her to come with me. So we left. We ran away. And my adoptive mother is searching for us. And people in the neighborhood are telling us our neighborhood is very, very small. Repeatedly, we were returned to our home repeatedly over and over. And at some point it got to the place that my sister and I were fearless and running away, whether we were together or not, because neither of us wanted to be there. And once the taste of freedom was there, there was no way I was going back there. There was no way. And then at the age of 12, being a bit exhausted and fed up of running away trying to sleep on people's couches, having to, well, I don't want to say having because I'm not a victim, but sleeping with grown men for a place to stay, I'd had enough. And so I tried to commit suicide by taking a a large amount of pills. They rushed me to the hospital. They pumped my stomach. Then they put me in a, a emotionally unstable home. And I remember asking them, please don't call my mother. Please don't call my mother. And they said, we won't. And literally hours later, I'm like being taken out of my cell and they're saying to me, your mother's here to pick you up. And in my mind, I'm like, oh man, this is not going to be good. So when she picks me up, she takes me home and she sits me down and she tells me, I want you to know I took the biggest bottle of aspirin. Well, I bought the biggest bottle of aspirin and I bought one for both you and your sister. And I'm going to make you sit in front of me and take it. And I want you to know that I took life insurance out on you both more on your sister because I know she's going to die first. Thank God my sister had run away and was still on the run. So my mother's promise was only valid when she found my sister. Luckily, we were never found together at the same time moving forward. And we were shortly removed from the home after this and placed back into foster care. At the age of 15, I got pregnant. And I had a baby and I reconnected with my biological mom, who at the time was currently in prison. Unfortunately, I really thought having this child, I was going to be a different person than my mother, either of my mothers. But I found that somewhere I was living the same life and the same conditioning that I had experienced through them. I felt emotionally disconnected. I felt completely dead inside. And I began to make choices that reflected this from my own struggle with drug addiction to becoming a stripper to prostitution until at some point I am in a strip club and some guy just keeps staring at me. Come to find out it's my father's brother. And then I met my biological father for the first time, who was a drug addict, still living on the streets, still struggling with his life. And he was very angry. He was very, very angry and always wanted something for me and always told me that I, that he owed me nothing, that he didn't owe me anything. There's so much more to this story. 
And I'm sure as this podcast continues, more of it will reveal itself because it's instrumental in all of the things that I'm going to share in my healing, in my expansion, in my transformation. My reason for sharing all of this is not to be perceived as the victim at all. It's really to serve as a reminder of possibility and hope. I share also because I know that shame is the greatest peace dealer. When I was ashamed of who I thought I was, where I came from, and the choices I made, there was absolutely no space for me to heal. When I carry shame around anything, it becomes a form of my identity. I often find myself thinking and believing, I am this. I am a stripper. I am a whore. I am unworthy. And this is what shame does. This is why I'm committed to being the example of what it looks like when love meets darkness, of what grace and humility looks like for those who conditioned us as someone once conditioned them. Maybe there are listeners who will hear this and have their own judgments about my choices and my life, and that's okay. And maybe there will be one of you who walks away feeling lighter today, feeling like there is hope. And if so, I have truly served my purpose. I'm not here for approval. I'm here to open my heart to tell the truth and share my journey in such a way that every and any listener realizes there is a way through. My only intention is being a safe space for as many people as possible to heal and integrate their story and to stop the cycle. It's important that I share specifically because the only thing that holds fear and shame in place is silence, as well as feeling misunderstood and alone. As a child, I was often counseled. And I found it hard to receive or listen to someone who had never walked in my shoes, which again is why it's so important for me to share this, because I know that there's so many people who have walked through these shoes on many, many different levels, whether it was foster care, abandonment, drug addiction, prostitution, being a stripper, teenage pregnancy, and interracial parents, biracial, being bullied. There's so much for me to share and so much for me to unpack and reveal so that others can see that there's another way through, you know, and as a biracial trauma experienced orphan, how could I relate to like a Caucasian educated woman who only knew safe neighborhoods in a two parent home? I felt like her regurgitated education meant nothing to me, literally. And in fact, it made it more challenging for me to understand myself. Her way of supporting me was her way of supporting and assessing all children she saw like me, a helpless victim or a rebellious child. Questions that led nowhere, only back to the dungeon in my mind and in the place that I lived in my home. I never felt this deep desire to be understood or heard, just to medicate me and therefore silence me. Which brings me to my next and final purpose for creating this podcast. Dear sisters and brothers, you are the medicine. You are your medicine. You came from this earth and to it you will return. You are the source and creation of the creator. The medicine of the divine mother and the purity of the divine father lives in you. If you want freedom and peace, it is already within you. If you want success and abundance, it is within you. If you want love and to be supported, it too is within you and your birthright. All we got to do is say yes. And I know that statement sounds simple, and yet it feels harder than ever at times. However, with moment-to-moment practices in place, this becomes accessible. With that said, I will bring my first episode to a close by saying this. We are in this together. Your success is my success. 
We can thrive together or we can survive together. Though when we thrive, life is a bit sweeter. Not because we don't deal with hardships, but because of how we choose to filter and process them. Life is rainbows and rainstorms. And when we decide to dance with both, we expand the dynamics in which we can grow and be in service to others who are also looking for a way through. And trust me, you, my brothers and sisters, are your and someone else's way through. Until next time, love yourself because love is who you are and who you will always be.